Kia ora koutou. welcome to First Up. This is Ramere. that's Friday the 18th of November. Coming up we go to the United States where a growing lineup of his former allies are turning their backs on Donald Trump. We also catch up with the head of the 48-hour film festival, the head of tonight's final. We've got the president of Rugby League Samoa on his team's shot at becoming world champions this weekend. And an Australian hospitality boss has found a way around the country's worker shortage. He said coming in here and he's hired senior citizens. I'd love to see every hospitality business get off their butts and start, you know, embracing it. Because I'm sure every region, every town has that same demographic. Welcome to First Up. I'm Nathan Radade. We have a busy program today, so we head straight to the United States instantly. Bevan Hurley is standing by. Kia ora, Bevan. It's good to have you on the show. Um, can you tell us, there was, I think there was a town hall with Mike Pence. Tell us about uh, what happened during that one. Yes, Morena, Nathan. Um, it probably seems premature right now to be talking about the next doesn't it? But already uh, we've had Trump declare this week and the jockeying amongst his possible Republican uh, opponents has begun. Um, Mike Pence has been on a media blitz in recent days promoting his new book, So Help Me God. And he told uh, a CNN town hall just last night that he's considering joining what would be a hotly contested primary. Um, he walked a very fine line um, in trying not to say anything critical about his former boss while making it clear that he thinks there'll be better choices in 2024 and that it was time for new leadership. Um, He addressed the January 6th insurrection, which he has been um, conspicuously quiet about for the last two years. It was, of course, the day that he and his family had to be steered to safety as an armed mob incited by Trump stormed the Capitol chanting, hang Mike Pence. Um, He said it was the most difficult day of his life and that the president's words were reckless and they had endangered his family and everyone at the Capitol. But when asked what uh, consequences Trump should face for his actions, Pence said that that was up to the American people. Um, He also ruled out testifying before the January 6th committee, saying that it would set a dangerous precedent. Um, And he said that the pair had had a a tense meeting in which he sensed that Trump was deeply remorseful in the days after January 6th, which of course is wildly at odds with every public statement that Trump has made about his role in the Capitol riots. Um, So other contenders to keep an eye out for, um, if if we're doing the early sort of straw poll, Nathan, would be uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who is of course uh, firmly in Trump's crosshairs, and Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin. Well, he really took the pocket, didn't he? Let's have a look at this. Um, they've just won the House majority, so why are people using the word disarray to describe the state of the Republicans at the moment? I, I think disarray is, is an accurate uh, reflection of where things are at right now. Um, you, you're absolutely right. Um, the Republicans uh, secured the 218 seats just last night, which will give them a majority in the House. Uh, They fell well short of that predicted red wave, but the win in the House is significant as it gives the GOP subpoena power, uh, control of committees that can grind Joe Biden's agenda to a halt, and they are going to come at everything um, with that investigative power. Um, Look for um, House House Select Committees on Anthony Fauci, uh, the southern border, and of course the President's son, Hunter Biden. Um, But how effective they can be at holding that slim majority together remains to be seen. Already this week we've seen a leadership challenge in the House with Kevin McCarthy McCarthy, sorry, winning comfortably over far-right challenger um, 
Congressman Andy Biggs of Arizona. Uh, but McCarthy has no uh, margin for error, and should any of those dissenting House members vote against him on important decisions, he will essentially become a lame duck leader and face further challenges. Um, GOP uh, Senate leader Mitch McConnell has also faced uh, an election challenge this week, and it just sort of underscored that discontent brewing among the top Republican brass. Uh, Republican uh, Democrats, sorry, have got their own problems, but um, they'd be well advised to just sit back and let the Republicans go at it. Um, also, that today, Nathan, we're expecting an announcement from Nancy Pelosi on her future. So look out for that one. That could be the end of um, what has been a, a really long and significant career. Court cases get quite big, a lot of coverage uh, for them. Can you tell us about this court case of Elizabeth Holmes, who she is and what she did and why everyone was excited about the sentencing? Yeah, you'll remember Elizabeth Holmes founded Theranos, um, which was a blood testing company that promised to revolutionise healthcare. Um, Holmes uh, attracted hundreds of millions of dollars in investment from the likes of Rupert Murdoch, uh, Henry Kissinger, um, another former Defence Secretary, James Mattis, um, promising that just with a few drops of blood, she would be able to run hundreds of tests for diseases like cancer, diabetes, um, blood pressure, all sorts of things. Now, this was, of course, all built on a house of cards. Um, the, the, the thing came to a grinding halt um, in 2018 when federal investigators charged her with fraud, and she was convicted after a four-month trial in a California court in January. Um, now, she's facing up to 20 years in prison when she's sentenced in just over 24 hours. Um, prosecutors have asked for a term of 15 years and for her to pay $800 million in restitution, while her legal team um, filed 130 letters from character witnesses and have asked that she serves no longer than 18 months and do so um, at home. Now, Holmes has got a, a young uh, son. She gave birth just last year and is pregnant with a second child. So I don't know if that'll factor into the judge's decision, but it will be a fascinating sentencing to watch. Well, uh, thank you very much, Bevan Hurley, uh, with us out of the United States. Twelve past five, you're listening to First Up here on RNZ National with me, Nathan Rarere. We've got a bit of, bit of heavy stuff for you this morning. So just a discussion that happened yesterday in the office from a statement, really. And we'd like to get your feedback, 2101. And uh, I would like to know this one, because it would turn into quite a heated debate yesterday. True or false? Everyone's uncle had a Hillman Hunter. True or false, everyone's uncle had a Hillman Hunter. That one on 2101. Or your thoughts on anything that's happened uh, in the world of, uh, I, I guess, in the world uh, in the last uh, 24 hours. 2101, send them in to us or email. First up, at rnz.co.nz. Well, a Dutch court has found three men with links to Russia guilty of mass murder over the shooting down of Malaysia Airlines flight MH17 over Ukraine in July back in 2014. All 298 passengers and crew were killed. Joining us now is journalist Robert van der Neurde, uh, who has been covering the MH17 case since it happened. Robert, thank you very much for your time and for being here. What were the scenes like at the sentencing? Sorry, I, I, uh, can you repeat that? <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, Robert. Um, tell, tell me, what was it like at the sentencing? I think it was amazing. A lot of relatives were really scared that it might not actually lead to a conviction. But uh, with three of the four suspects convicted, they got a life sentence in in prison. I think uh, 
it, the, the court case went as it should have, I think. That's, but this is what, what I expected, actually. Right. Robert, I was wondering, though, it's, it's interesting because they've been sentenced, but they are still at large. So what does that mean ultimately? Do you think the court is ever really confident that they will capture these three? Um, that's unlikely, but... Uh, if if there would ever be a regime change in uh, in Russia, it could still become uh, possible. But at the moment, uh, impossible indeed. So uh, they're convicted, but the chance that uh, they will be really in jail at some point, caught and in jail, is uh, is, is minimal. So w- what do we know about the fourth man? Because there was another there who wasn't convicted. Yeah, it, his role was was deemed too minimal to to con- convict him um so it, it it's yeah it's un- unclear that there, there is an advantage here because he was the only one who had uh, lawyers representing him so if they would find him guilty then you can s- still extend the court case and go to another court case etc by not convicting him they blocked this path so it might actually be a really good thing and it might not drag on for i don't know an intense amount of uh, of, of time, so uh, it, it might actually be uh, be better like this. Right, R- Robert, you've got quite an interesting story. You were closer than most journalists to MH17, quite literally. Uh, t- tell us what what was happening. You know, what were you doing at the time? I was uh, working in uh, both Russia and Ukraine, and I was just flying from uh, from Moscow to Kiev. And I landed, and uh, just a bit later, MH17 basically flew over me and then was shot down in Donetsk. So I just landed, and um, I heard that uh, this uh, flight was uh, shot out of the air. Oh my goodness! Well, it's been it's been closer to you uh, than than many of us, Robert. Thank you very much for your time this morning. Yes, there it is the uh, the sentencing of the three that are still at large, uh, but still a very significant uh, uh, um, uh, sentencing. That is Robert van der Nuere there uh, talking about the MH17 case. Well, it is Friday, and at this time we like to cross to our correspondent in Africa, Nabil Ahmed. Uh, Morin and Nabil, two have been killed in a second deadly Kenya building collapse in just three days. What's happening there? Yes, Nathan, this is quite a sad incident uh, in Kenya. Now, the latest tragedy involved uh, a multi-story building in the outskirts of Kenya's capital, Nairobi. Um, the building was actually under construction when it collapsed uh, on a nearby home. Now, this incident occurred on Thursday, and authorities are saying that at least two people have died. And this incident comes just two days after another multi-story building under construction collapsed in another town, killing at least three people. Now, these incidents have raised concerns that uh, because housing is in high demand in Kenya, some developers are often uh, bypassing regulations that would ensure that these uh, structures are put up according to uh, the standards and authorities are now warning of some unsafe buildings in Kenya uh, made calls for regulations to be enforced, Nathan. Um, Nabil, we've got a lot of South Africans that live in New Zealand, so can you? they might be very interested in this one. Why is South Africa's president saying that he might step aside? Well, um, South Africa's president, uh, Sir Ramaphosa, is accused of kidnapping, bribery, and acting unlawfully uh, by allegedly authorizing the pursuit of uh, suspects who stole an estimated $4 million uh, on his farm. 
Now, this controversy of the president's involvement dates back in February 2020, and the theft was allegedly committed by Namibian nationals who conspired uh, with a domestic worker at uh, President Ramaphosa's farm. Well, the president has denied any wrongdoing in these crimes, and his spokesperson is saying that the president will step aside if he is charged. For now, we are learning that the president, Araposa, is cooperating in investigations on these crimes, Nita. Why are there protests happening in Somaliland? Uh, basically, is because the president of Somaliland, uh, Bihi, his first term in office was due to end last Sunday, but uh, it, lawmakers last month extended it by two years, and this has raised a lot of agitation in Somaliland. Many people have been reported injured during fresh protests on Sunday over the extension of President B's term by two years. And the protests happened after the opposition parties declared the government illegitimate. Now, it comes because the Electoral Commission has called for a delay in the elections uh, due to financial and some technical constraints. And President B was actually uh, elected in November 2017, and his term was supposed to have ended last Sunday. And opposition are saying that they no longer recognize him as the president. And for now, police have warned that um, there is going to be more protests, and this is really going to affect the seeming peace in Somaliland at the moment. Now, Nabil, the, the Football World Cup about to happen. One of the greatest football players in African history is George Weir, the president there of. Uh, yes. But but I see there. Liberia. Us, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Liberia's finance minister <laughs> has just let George Weir off for something. What is that? Well, Nathan, as you said, Jojua is one of the greatest African footballers. Now, this controversy has to do with the fact that. Liberia didn't qualify for the World Cup, but the president is taking a trip to Qatar to watch the World Cup. And we are learning that on this trip, he's going to take some $2,000 a day as per diem. And people are not happy about this because it comes at a time where uh, Liberia is facing a lot of difficulties within its economy. And for the president to go on such a long trip, um, we, we understand that he's out of the country from 1st November to 23rd. And then he will be in Qatar to view the World Cup from 15th to the 23rd of November. And he'll be taking this $2,000 per day as his trip allowance. And um, people are saying that it contravenes his own mantra of pro-poor policies and also cutting down on spending in the country because the country is facing some economic hardships. For him to be taking this huge sums of money, um, people are saying is not really right and it's largely coming from the opposition and even some members within his party. For the amounts for the entire trip, we are not certain as to what it's going to take for him throughout this whole period where he will be out of the country. But then what we know now is that he's going to be taking $2,000 daily allowance. Nathan. Thank you very much, Nabil. That is some sort of pity, and there he is, Nabil Ahmed out of Africa. 21 past 5, I'm Nathan Radere here at First Up on RNZ National. Between now and the end of the programme, you're going to hear about the finals of the 48-hour film festival tonight, and we're going to hear from Samoa as the country has a crack at being the Rugby League World Champions. I've lost a lovely bunch of cow tonight. 
there they are standing in the rear. Big ones, small ones, some as big as your head. And the Minister of Fruit and Veggies stands by with much information and love for the fruit and the veggies. Five weeks to go until Christmas and cost of living tips. It's all there. Good morning, Glenn Forsyth. How are you? Very well, Nathan. How are you, my friend? I'm, I'm particularly good. So give us some suggestions to keep in mind. These are, these are some super tricks here from Glenn. When you buy your produce, let's talk about ways to cut down the costs. Yeah, yeah. During these cost of living tough times, remember the three S's to help stretch your dollar. So one, seasonal. Make sure the bulk of your weekly fruit and vegetable buys are in season produce 12 months of the year. Seasonal produce is also more nutritious, tasty, and better better quality. Two, specials. Pick on the store's promotions. Don't be shy. Walk into a shop and just buy two or three of their specials. Walk into a competing store and buy two or three of different items that they have on special too. It's your money and you decide where to spend it. And you're also helping the industry cleaning up stock in abundance, giving the product in short supply a chance to replenish. And three, shop around. This is um, this is a big one. Do some homework and network with friends. For example, one of our spies on Wednesday spotted packets of Campari tomatoes at three different locations, 499, 599, and an eye-watering eye 7.29. Pretty scary stuff when you consider weekly market prices and forces are similar for all retailers. Personally, I'm jealous of people that live in Hobsonville, Auckland. I mean, on their doorstep, they have a Cracker Jack Greengrocer and then two competing supermarkets, then a five-minute drive to Westgate, a further two competing monsters to those three again, and a Sunday farmer's market at Avondale. I mean, that's a savvy shopper's heaven right there. So, I was in that yeah. fruit shop the other day, Glenn, but it was, uh, it was, a, re- it was a, a, a credit to itself. It really was. Good, hey, um, tell man. me this. Um, you've been looking at um, veg. Oops, sorry, uh, looking at veggies, but you, you like to split them up. Tell us um, how, you, how you divide them up. Yeah, we could split the best buys this weekend into two groups, hot and cooked for the dinner plate or cool and crunchy for the salad bowl. Back to buying in season, fresh corn on the cob started this week, but it will set you back 3 or $4 each. Yes, just one cob. So best to leave these until December. So an idea for dinner would be Aussie round beans, asparagus, and strips of New Zealand courgettes, all delicately pan-fried with a little butter, salt, and pepper for a side dish, then a small pot of boiled new-season New Zealand fresh peas with some mint from the garden in there, and a good old mash of potatoes with red or orange creamer together. We like to add just butter again. Yes, I know that's a little bit naughty, but right there, that is six vegetables. And with uh, with dinner, a homemade green salad with lettuce leaves, cucumber, tomatoes, capsicums, avocados, and cheese naturally, adding a further five produce items. Now, they're all in good supply, and eggplant, spring onions, spinach and thank goodness green cabbage again a further few they're all in season now as well no i reckon it's all right to put the butter in the mash that's that's supporting the dairy industry like that's some that's a veggie <laughs> that's a veggie dish that morrinsville can get behind to tell you that um tell me about what's um, what what's this week's best of fruit yeah, there's some, there's some quality issues currently with some melons from Australia and green grapes from USA, but what are okay, however, are New Zealand Pink Lady Apples and a personal favourite, the Granny Smith. Green kiwi fruit and tangelos, another two fruits ripe for the taking. Summer fruit is called summer fruit for a reason, as summer from the 1st of December, they'll start to bring in its best then. So, for example, the apricots and cherries I've seen this week, they will not satisfy the taste buds at all. But one summer fruit this weekend you may wish to try, though, is the Polar Light Pearl Nectarine from Yummy Orchards. It has a dark dark red skin but a white flesh and it's a short season variety strawberries raspberries and blueberries they're all in season now and they complement beautifully our fruit of the week nathan today uh, hi glenn what is your fruit of the week blake uh, blackberries Woo! 
<laughs> I know, they're brilliant. Coming to us from the Waikato in Mangatapuri area, New Zealand is growing some spectacular varieties. Look out for them in store now. Blackberries are packed with vitamin C and they are high in fibre. Fiber. They, they're good for oral health and they also are great in, in the food, uh, great food in the fight against diabetes. Yeah, blackberries, beautiful. Wonderful. The, the blackberries are the ones with the little red socks on them. You can see them and they're very good. Thank you very much. Glenn Forsyth, yes, there you are. Seasonality, specials, and shop. These are your three S's. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our life. This is the day of our life we call the 18th of November. One of the Kiwi greats died uh, on this day in 2015, Jonah Lomu. Passed away at the age of um, 40 years old after his long battle there with kidney disease. Made you feel a million bucks when you met him. Giant of a human. Happy birthday, Owen Wilson. Wow, he's 54 years old today. Kim Wilde, remember from Kids in America and Keep Me Hanging On? Yeah. Um, Did you know that actually she changed after music and went into gardening? And in 2005, she won the Gold Award for her courtyard garden at the Royal Horticultural Society's Chelsea Flower Show. So there you are, she's 62 years old today. Margaret Atwood turns 83, currently most famous, I guess, for uh, The Handmaid's Tale. But also, she was an inventor. So she invented a thing called the long pen, uh, which is a remote signing device to allow anyone to sign by ink. So basically, there's like a tablet or an iPad at one end that you scribble on, and then there's a robotic hand holding a pen at the other end, which I thought, ooh, that is uh, quite dystopian. But there you go, she's an inventor as well. Also, a great inventor, Marvin Pipkin, was born on this day in 1889. You're like, who's that? Marvin Pipkin is who you have to thank for your frosted light bulbs. He was a chemist and he started working at General Electric and they used to assign a task to the newbies because they went, it's impossible to do. Frost that on the inside. And he came back in the afternoon and went, there you go. Oh, so the joke fell flat and uh, Marvin is now was rich. Uh, happy 94th birthday to you, Mickey Mouse. This was the day that Steamboat Willie came out. So the Walt Disney Corporation, they celebrate uh, Mickey's birthday on this day. And on this day in 1985, Bill Watterson wrote his first uh, Calvin and Hobbes comic strip. Beautiful comic strip there. It was just lovely. He drew 3,151 of those. And on this day in 1989, The Little Mermaid came out in uh, theatres. And of course, uh, Ginger Kids got to have a theme uh, for their birthday party under the age of six and everyone knows that it's always the long hair and the under the sea party and uh, those uh, were what happened on the 18th of November From the business team, it is Andrew McRae. Kia ora, Andrew. Kia ora, Nathan. Now, this is quite good. Um, the, the help with rural communities for high-speed broadband, and it's coming, I guess it's coming from space, but maybe not too far out in space. Well, that's right. It's called a low-Earth orbit technology, which is a bit of a mouthful, but it uses a network of satellites that are speeding around up in space less than 2,000 k's from, from Earth. Uh, normally satellites that we've been using up until now are at a height of something like about 35,000 kilometres above the Earth, which meant that any broadband being you know, connected from satellites uh, wasn't fast or reliable. But this, this new technology, the low-orbit technology, allows high-speed connections, which you know, many rural, rural areas, as we know, are, are crying out for. And just to get a feel for how many satellites are out there, 
Uh, Amazon itself is planning to launch over 3,000 of them uh, shortly. Elon Musk's uh, Starlink's already up there. Uh, he has satellites operating, and he, he also has about 5,000 customers already in New Zealand. Uh, the satellites can be provided uh, uh, can can you know provide a service to any country, and it just needs to have uh, a, you know ground stations. Uh, it doesn't come cheap though for customers here. Uh, Starlink is uh, offering a monthly charge of one hundred and fifty nine dollars, with uh, just uh, a one thousand uh, just over one thousand dollars for initial the initial hardware. Uh, Starlink doesn't have any competition here yet, which is a bit of a problem, and we don't know yet whether Amazon or the others will come to these shores. But if they do, then competition possibly might bring bring the cost down. Uh, a data research firm, IDC, says Starlink uh, is popular here with lifestyle block owners and for farms and also you know things like tourism businesses and hard-to-reach places. And they're also thinking of uh, diversifying, apparently, and offering broadband to people in things like uh, you know motorhomes and caravans out on your boat or if you're on a cruise ship, basically anywhere. So that, that sounds promising. Uh, there are significant spin-offs, of course, uh, to close that rural divide and the, the low Earth, Earth orbit uh, satellites is just one way. Uh, interestingly, the uh, Institute of Economic Research has done a number of, uh, you know, crunched the numbers, and they estimate the benefits uh, totaled around about $16 billion over the next year to close that, that di- rural digital divide because, you know, it allows workers to be able to work uh, in a w- wide range of jobs. Yeah. Uh, you know, businesses also can... A tap into a wider pool of workers and, and as you know one thing we did learn from COVID that it highlighted the importance of people having access you know to good technology and contactivity wherever they were yeah and Nathan while, while we're talking about technology uh, the country's tech sector has seen rapid growth over over the last year with revenue up nine percent to 15 billion dollars you know 76 percent of that revenue came from exports from overseas it generated something like 11 billion well, that, that, that equates to 14% of New Zealand's total, which makes the tech sector second only to dairying, which, you know, it's very interesting. Things are changing. Yeah, they are. Thank you very much. Uh, Andrew McRae, you can hear more from the business team on Morning Report at 1027. If you go shopping with your New Zealand dollar today, you can buy 60.76 US cents, 91.35 Australian cents, 58.77 Euro cents, 51.51 British pence, 4.34 yuan, 85.42 Japanese yen. It's Barry Guy who's all set to go for the weekend. He is stretching because uh, you've got to stretch before it all, right? Running up and down doing grids. More in the cones. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's a, it's a more relaxing one, slightly more relaxing one than last weekend. <laughs> so, uh. Well, it is. Well, where should we start? Let's, let's start, uh, tell everyone about the All Blacks side that was named overnight. I, yep. It was an interesting uh, couple Brody of selections. Brody back. Uh, he and uh, Sam Whitelock will play their uh, New World Record 64th Test together. Uh, breaking, uh, going past the previous mark held by the South Africans, Barkey Sporter and Victor Matfield. Mm. Uh, it's pretty much the same team that uh, played uh, Wales, although Mark Talia gets to start at 14, and with uh, Brody Retallick back, it means Scott Barrett goes to uh, uh, number six. This is the first 15, isn't it, it feels like? I mean, I, I yeah. thought that perhaps Samasuni uh, Tokiahua might get the start, but I see Cody Taylor's got it, but it feels like this is their number one. Uh, what do you make of the, the backline reserves? Because you've got David Havili and also, I think, Anton Leonard-Brown back there. So that 
you know, yeah, two well, outside I, that I suppose camp. having uh, Geordie there is uh, oh, yes. that he can go anywhere. Uh, Rico can go anywhere. Bowden Barrett can go anywhere. And really the only ones that come off, I suppose, would be Aaron Smith and uh, Richie Moonga. And you can replace them yeah. uh, because TJ has been uh, promoted back to his impressive performance uh, last weekend. So... Uh, yeah, very good. I see the All Blacks are slight favourites for really? uh, that one. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I've been told yeah. we've got about a minute, so we'll rush. Here we go. So oh, Old Trafford and Manchester, glory for the Kiwi Ferns. Surely we've got the best player in the in the whole tournament, Racine McGregor. Uh, yes, that's right. And sure. uh, impressive halves pairing with uh, Abigail Roach as well. And they they pushed um, Australia closely, you know, that was in that uh, playoff game that they had, uh, last pool game. Uh, Autumn Rain, Stevens uh, Daly, who's uh, possibly got the best name in the so uh, competition. She's back on the wing, so I, I would give the Ferns a good chance of uh, of winning that, and then, of course, it's uh, Australia, some more in the men's uh, final uh, a little bit later in the morning, on Sunday morning, and um, I'm sure everyone yeah. will be uh, The Samoan flag's the become the national flag of West Auckland, I can tell you that. Uh, yes. Every car that's uh, well, poking out there, and I know a lot of Tongans that are supporting Samoa in that game as well. So yeah, uh, yeah the whole of the Pacific. Pace. It's good to know that the uh, strength of uh, rugby league is in the South Pacific yes, anyway. So it is. Thank yeah. you very much, Barry. Okay, have a good there one. is Barry Guy Wait. out of our uh, sports department. Too much sport is not enough. Well, the judges have been honing down the finalists for the Vista Foundation Forty Eight Hours Film Festival, which kicks off tonight at the beautiful Civic Theatre in Auckland. So in this festival, filmmakers are given uh, a mystery topic and then a style and they have 48 hours to conceive film cut edit act do it all and the man who has made it happen since day dot is ant timpson and i said ant how long have you been doing this it's been happening for 20 years this is the 20th year so it's a big big celebration i'd love to say that the one-man army that runs the thing which was like it was that in the early days but uh, I have two incredible women who basically run the entire operation and I, and I sort of get swanned out at certain times through the event to wave my hand like the Queen. But um, yeah, uh, <laughs> Vanessa and and Ruth take charge of everything. But yeah, huge, huge year for us, 20 years. The most beautiful concepts, get together as a team, make a movie, and you've got 48 hours to, to come running in. I remember in the old days, Ant, people used to come running in with USB sticks to try and make it there as the countdown happened. That the amount of numbers that you've got this year, just explain to us, because I think you filmed them in the middle of the year. How many entries did you get? We got, I mean, you know, there's always a bit of a drop off in terms of like those who just crash and burn and never hand, hand in. There's, it, it varies from over year to year. But this year, it was like 555 completed films with kind of ends up being around maybe six to 8,000 people all involved, depending on the team size throughout the entire country and we've really made an effort to push to a lot of sort of the regions and opened up a lot more it used to just be the big cities that took participated in the events but now it's like you can be anywhere you could be on a beach way up north and still be able to digitally deliver those days of of actually um driving at, at 100ks to the finish line and, and smashing through fences have kind of gone by the wayside for just not just for safety reasons but just because we wanted everyone to be able to compete and w- w- yeah when you have a beast this big now we've had to go digital for a lot of it that's incredible wow what a huge amount of numbers and i was thinking too back in the history here because you you know this is a good starting point for people i remember a fellow who directs marvel films now uh doing one of these 48 hour <laughs> film festival i think it was like a war movie that he made 
Yeah, well, there's been a lot. I mean, the New Zealand Film Commission have got behind it in a really big way in the last few years because they see it as a, a really great incubator pipeline. So the people sort of start off there and eventually we keep seeing the same names becoming sort of industry heavyweights, like a small percentage, like Gerard who won, Gerard Johnson, who won the very first one, I think who you know, he's gone on and now he's got a huge film for Universal called Megan. So there's a direct correlation between those who sort of excel in the comp, uh, ending up in the industry and becoming really viable players in the, in the sector. Yeah, I was, I'm, I'm still waiting for one of Taika's movies to do something out of it and go, saw that on 48 Hour Film Festival 1, I know what you're doing. <laughs> I was also thinking too, and you know, when you've been around for 20 years, you actually get almost a generational shift of people that come through. You, you would have had quite a few of the, the Gen Zs coming along who are an interesting generation. Do you notice that they make films differently with their worldview? That's a really good question. I mean, there's definitely cycles that in filmmaking and sort of, you know, themes and what's hot around. There's a lot of sort of imitation depending on what's hot or not and coming out of the US at the time. But just the way that TikTok and all these other platforms have really just taken content creation to stratospheric levels. It's just the confidence in these really young members have just have, yeah, the, the days of like being, of seeing absolutely appalling, unwatchable material a long, long gone. Like the baseline quality has just sort of elevated right up that it's becoming so competitive in terms of those first timers. There used to be like a huge gap between those who have been around for a long, long time and then those who are literally just picking up a camera for the first time because we've got that generation that have just grown up being able to understand film language literally from the crib onwards so and now we've got the people who have actually gone through the comp 20 years ago and now their kids are doing it and they make the films with their kids so it's kind of yeah it's a beautiful thing oh that's scary when that starts happening so uh this weekend <laughs> is, is the grand final tell us about some of the judges and um how can the public be involved can we come along to see or is there somewhere online we can see absolutely you can you can rock on up to the civic the doors open at six thirty, and then the films kick off at 7.30 and there's 18 films including the wild cards chosen by Peter Jackson. We had a really great lineup of judges including like international folk heavyweights and then a lot of local big names like Dame Galen Preston and Cliff Curtis and a lot of just you know industry mates that we shoulder tap to check out these shorts. They lo- you know they love it. Peter's devoted so much time over the years to checking out all these films and picking the ones that he thinks are going to top it. He's quite competitive in that way. Tonight's when everyone can come along under the Civic Stars. I mean, to see your short film play with a massive crowd in that venue, it's kind of historic and it's something you'll probably never forget as a filmmaker. But then you know friends and family all get to enjoy and bask in their glow. And with you know the winner comes away with a massive prize this year. The Film Commission have got like a pitch start, 25000 called Level Up, a prize that's going along on top of the first prize, which is massive up to over $50,000 worth of services and cash. So that's it's amazing. a really big... Yeah, it's like, it's basically, it's the golden key to like get yourself into the next level of filmmaking for who, who walks away with the grand one. But everyone's a winner tonight, mate. Because we all get to watch incredible shorts uh, under the Civic Stars. So, yeah, yeah, and there's an online, there'll be an online version as well that people can check in. And if they go to the 48 Hours page on the Facebook page, they will be able to find all the information there. And our website, 48hours.co.nz. That is Ant Timpson. 
It is 16 to 6. The first up audience this morning have been uh, sending in their feedback. 2101, true or false? Everyone's uncle had a Hillman Hunter. Uh, we'll bring you the results of those soon and you can contribute to them if you like. But it's just time to tell you that between now and the end of the programme, we're going to hear from the president of Rugby League Samoa and also a restaurateur in, Aust- in Australia who's found a way around the country's staff shortage. The professionals of Morning Report are here after six. It's Marnie Dunlop who's with me right now. Kia ora, how are you? Morena, happy Friday. Happy Friday to you. What's happening today? Uh, we'll get more reaction about these three men who have been convicted of mass murder for their roles in the 2014 shooting down of uh, that MH17 flight. Mm. Uh, we dive into that backlash um, that, that's been rearing its head around uh, the Nationals' proposal for military-style camps to uh, young people who commit crime. Yes. Uh, and we go to COP27. Um, Corin's going to be speaking with the climate change Minister James Shaw. Ooh, plenty on today. Thank you very much for your time. Marnie and Curran with you up after six. Well, this weekend, Samoa's National Rugby League team have the chance to make history when they take on the mighty Australia in England. And if you've been anywhere near South or West Auckland this week, you'll know how excitement uh, is just bubbling over for this game. So imagine what it's like in Samoa itself. So I spoke with one of the people behind the team's success. That's the president of Rugby League Samoa, Tangaloa Fa'afawina Sua, who's in the capital of Apia. And I asked what he thought of the team making the final. Unbelievable, mate. <laughs> Indescribable feeling, you know, um... I think people are still carried away from um, last Sunday morning and still trying to sink in. You know, everyone around the world. And I think the, the best thing with this World Cup campaign, what the team has done is to reuniting our nation all together all around the world and over here in Samoa. With, you know, everyone like in the world and here in Samoa, we've been through a lot, you know, with the COVID and a lot of other challenges we had and that, I think the Rugby League World Cup is uh, one of the best things that happened for the last uh, two, three years for our nation, not just here in Samoa, but, you know, all around the world. Yeah. All Samoans around the world and our Pacific Island brothers as well. Yeah. Mm, and even in New Zealand too, because, you know, you know, New Zealand is our brother too. Well, I was going to say that, Tangaloa. I know every Samoan in my neighbourhood because they have a giant Samoan flag hanging out of their car when they're driving around now. They're very, very easy to see with there. So I can understand what you mean there by that, you know, the uniting Samoans uh, around the world. So when you, when you look at this team's performance, how did they go from losing 60 to 6 against England in pool play and then beating them in the semi final? I think we were the only ones that understand our situation from the start. But um, now we didn't really have a, a time to put together the team. The last, we, I think we were the, the team with the last players to to be there at the game. You know, for the five five days before our first match, hmm. so we didn't have a, a warm up match and didn't have enough time. But you know, it was tough to absorb at the time, and uh, you know, it was. I think it's a blessing in disguise for us. To have that, um, <laughs> I would say a very embarrassing situation. But it's footy; it's not how we started, but it's how we ended. It's always in the, you know, in the boys' uh, mind, and then move on from that situation after that came. 
Back here in New Zealand, our our women's uh, rugby team just won the Rugby World Cup and there was something really nice about the personality of the team and, you know, how they're relaxed and bonded together. When I think of a Samoan rugby league team, I imagine that it's quite a, it's a happy environment to be in. I think that's the main thing, you know, everyone on the same page with whatever challenges and, um, and issues that we face, we talk, discuss, consult and then buy into it and don't see, look at ways of how we, we deal with it and then move on and everyone's happy, you know, no, we don't hold any, hold any questions against each other. We just put everything on the table, you know, just be honest with each other, open-minded and that's, and that's the atmosphere. I think that's the main thing. Yeah. No use uh, going into uh, a battle with your mind, not free and not relaxed, you know. And now here they are in the final of the Rugby League World Cup against the mighty Australia. That game's going to be at five in the morning on Sunday. Do you, do you think the whole of Samoa is going to be awake for that? I believe the whole of Samoa, with the 3.30 a.m. time last week, I believe the whole of Samoa were awake, you know, <laughs> been praying. And because you get you notice with the instantaneously after the game, there were parades in town here in Samoa. And I'm sure that's also you know, around the world too. With uh, even though we have time differences, but we've seen some videos of some families and some other group of people, all the supporters in parading and showing the flags around, and then you know, very proud of the, what the team has done. But you know, very emotional last week. I think that's how most people feel felt very emotional and overwhelmed with what the team has done. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, and then will it be okay if people are a little bit late late to church on Sunday because they were watching the rugby league in the morning? No, well, there's still uh, some members who have to go and represent the families to the church. Like, for instance, me here, I was just watching with my just my little family, and then our other extended family turn up, drinking and turning radios on, and told them, "No, that's not the way how we we do things." You know, yeah. go back home, have a rest, go to church. Thank God for what he has done for us and all his blessings. And also they need to also, I mean, they are very so happy people, but they also need to be responsible too, you know, just because most of the time they're out of control with the noise that they make shouting and doing chants, uh, but they need to do it at the right time too, because there are also other old people that don't really take that easily. In the hearts of someone, people say the boys are already champion. They don't have to prove anything else to the world or us. All they need to do is to prove it to themselves that they can go with that extra mile. Just one more. That's the president of Rugby League Samoa, Tangaloa Fa'afawina Sua. It is 6-2-6. An Australian business owner has come up with a clever way to deal with the dire staff shortages going on, one that he says other businesses crying out for workers would be wise to follow. Barry Idles has convinced senior citizens to come out of retirement and work in his Victoria restaurant. And as he explained to our reporter Leonard Powell, his new grey-haired workers have the business absolutely booming. My daughter's been travelling and she said the only people working in the outback were grey nomads in their caravans, like, you know, working in reception, etc. And I said, well, I'm going to get home and I'm going to approach hitting the seniors market. I'm 67, I've got plenty of spring left. So I did a 42,000 postcard mail out through Australia Post promoting our winter trade because winter in Queensland gets a bit quiet. Barry Idles says he didn't want to waste the back of the postcard, 
So the owner of the 360Q restaurant decided to tailor his message to cover all bases. So I put on juniors, come and learn the art of hospitality. Millennials, come and show us what you can do because they know everything. And seniors, come back to workforce for one or two shifts a week. Well, I've got 12 seniors. They're absolutely fantastic. I managed to pick up a few juniors and it's quite good to teach the juniors the art of hospitality. So the young and the old get on very well. Barry says some of the seniors are more senior than others. Well, I'm a middle-aged senior. I've got a junior senior who's 60. I've got a couple of seniors who are 75. The age gap between the youngest and oldest staff member at 360Q is 60 years, with a 15-year-old and a 75-year-old working side by side. Over the winter, the popular seaside restaurant does anywhere from 1,500 to 2,000 meals per week, and Barry says it hasn't been an issue that his senior staffers hadn't done hospo before. None of these guys have got any hospitality experience at all, but they do have life skills and they took it like duck to water. The interaction between young and old is absolutely amazing. I'd like to see everyone out out here and, and in New Zealand become positive, proactive, not be frightened to hire older generation and not be frightened to get the young ones in and train them up. Don't go around going, there's no staff, there's no staff, because I guarantee if that's your attitude, you'll never get anyone. With Monday to Friday wait staff collecting $30 an hour and weekend staff 45 I asked Barry what he made when he first started in hospitality. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I started, I was O'Brien's Catering's first apprentice. I was just 18. I was on $36 a week. That was 1973. I ran a car, I paid my board and lived on it. You know, I'd spend $8 a week on petrol. Um, Now I probably spend $8 a minute. He says his not-so-fresh-faced new staff have completely changed his fortunes. The little shop across the road is a cafe, serves ice creams, pies. The owner had a bit of a gambling problem. Uh, Rent fell by the way. I stayed open right through COVID. They didn't open at all. People were hankering for coffee and a pie. So they've gone this week, and I don't like seeing empty businesses. So I said to the owner of the building, I'll take it on. Barry hopes his much-publicised move to employ older citizens will breathe life into an industry that's been struggling to stay afloat. I'd love to see every hospitality business get off their butts and start you know, embracing it, because I'm sure every region, every town has that same demographic. That's Barry Idles there with a great idea. And look, uh, lots of feedback coming in. Nathan, without Neighbours, there would never have been Kylie and Jason's, especially for you. Uh, your comment that Starlink has no competition is incorrect. Apparently there's one you can get. Uh, it's a service provided by Gravity. Great service there. Hits the Bay of Many Coves in the sounds. Thank you very much, Nigel. Uh, here's one. Uh, Hillman Hunters. Did everyone's uncle have a Hillman Hunter? False. False. My auntie had a Hillman Minx. I'm someone's uncle, and I had a brown Hillman Hunter estate in 87, says Dez in Wellington. Yes, true. My uncle Bernie had a silver Hillman Hunter said another and here's another one not my uncle but my friend Cam has a Hillman Hunter and he has strong uncle vibes Morning Report is next with Marnie and Corin. have yourselves a magnificent weekend first up back in your ears on Monday